have now the seventh day, uh, the meditation for the seventh day. And as you'll see, this meditation mentions the incredible power of even a very short prayer said in a cemetery or in a church uh, during, well, any time, uh, especially today. So during this octave that is from the 2nd of November through the 9th of November, any prayer said for the holy souls of purgatory in a cemetery has an indulgence attached to it. But even other times, those prayers are very powerful. So a day of prayer for poor souls who have none to pray for them. As you measure to others, says our blessed Savior, it shall be measured to you again. Now, what would you wish to be done for you if in purgatory? Surely you would not like to be forgotten, to have no longer a share in the prayers of the faithful, to escape so great a misery, which is often an effect of divine justice on such as have no charity for the deceased. Be very earnest today in your supplications for those poor souls who have none to pray for them. The duty of helping the poor sufferers in purgatory by our prayers is a great and holy act of charity, which is very dear to the sacred heart of Jesus, but which is by very many altogether unheeded and by very few performed with that earnest, untiring perseverance, which it so well deserves. Is there one of us who, passing on an errand of business or pleasure, could see a fellow creature in fearful agony, from which, by a little delay, a little extra trouble, we might liberate him, or at least assuage and shorten his torment, and yet would pass on without turning, without speaking one compassionate word? Not one of us, surely. Yet daily and hourly, as we pass on our errands of duty and pleasure, there are innumerable multitudes of our fellow creatures calling to us from wide oceans of unimaginable and undying fire. And the dew of charity seems dried up in our hearts, and we have none to give to them. Daily and hourly they are stretching their manacled hands toward us, praying for one touch of that talismanic power of indulgence prayer to lighten the weight, to send ringing downward the chains that bind them, and we lock up the rich treasure before their pleading eyes and turn away. We turn away because we cannot spare the time from our amusements, our dress, from the thousand and one things that make up the business of our lives. Daily and hourly they plead to us who think that we love Jesus to consider how they have seen him, and know what he is, while we only guess, imploring of us to use our power with their sovereign to shorten their time of banishment, to rid them of their keenest pang, separation from him. They have seen him, and their souls are straining after him, and their hearts are thirsting for him, with a straining and a thirsting that only immortality could bear and live. We stand by and hearken not, and our precious power is lost, lies utterly useless, and are we the dearer to the heart of Jesus for it? Oh, are we deaf that their voices are unanswered? Are our hearts turned to stone that human souls can thus cry to us in vain? We have heard their cry, oh, so often. Have pity on us, have pity on us. At least you are friends. Passing by a quiet graveyard in the calm of a summer evening, we have heard it. It is floated on the faint breath of summer air, stealing over the peaceful green mounds 
in the light rustle of the drooping trees, in the softened murmur of the little brook, slipping between the graves. It has trembled over the whole scene. Oh, the gentle, holy resignation, the perfect humility of that cry, have pity. We have heard it rising above the measured fall of footsteps, above the muffled roll of carriage wheels, above all the stately pomp of each well-appointed funeral. Have pity. This is not what we want. What care we for all this pomp and show? It is of no value. Oh, the unutterable value of one, my Jesus, mercy. The priceless worth of one fervent Hail Mary. And you waste your time thus. Have you no love as well as respect for our memory? We have heard this cry strong and eager coming through the twilight aisles of the silent chapel as we knelt in prayer. Have pity on us. Speak for us there at the Master's feet. You are happy, feeling him so near, almost hearing his voice in the quiet, holy stillness. We are chained down by exquisite torment. We stretch our hand toward him. We strain our eyes after him, but we cannot see him. We cannot feel him near. You feel our soul filled with gentle, holy thoughts and a feeling of deep peace. We are surrounded by surging waves of liquid fire, and there is no peace for us, save that we suffer for his love. Have pity on us. You are trying to come near to him. You are always trying to think what it will be to be loosed from earth and fly away to him, your Lord, your beloved, your only rest. But you cannot. The vision of his face floats away just when you think you can almost see it and leaves your dark, your soul dark again. And ah, now more than ever have pity, for we have seen him. We have known what it is to be released and to dart up to him, attracted by a magnetism unknown to you on earth. We have seen his face, that beautiful face, that is always rising up in your soul. But it is so indistinct, you cannot imagine it. You have not felt the intense and overwhelming love of him that taught us to fly with joy into these very flames in which we now languish, in the hope of becoming a little less unworthy of his love. You cannot picture the longing to be again with him that makes every moment a tedious age. You do not know it, or you would not be so chary of each little prayer that wins for us the striking off of one hundred or more of those dragging centuries that you call days. Oh, have pity on us. Speak for us. It is more than merely a work of charity, and the most perfect of all works of fraternal charity. It is besides a work of self-interest. Let us go back to my first example, the person who, passing on a work of duty or pleasure, refuses to pause in order to aid a suffering fellow creature. Suppose that by releasing that sufferer, he could restore him to a high and confidential post in the court of some mighty sovereign, where he would use his utmost power in behalf of his benefactor. All his energy quickened and made earnest in the strength of the deepest gratitude for the service done to him. Would you not think him mad who passed on and turned not to aid him, and let the golden opportunity go by forever? It is but another instance of the indifference we show for the things of heaven while we strive earnestly after the things of earth. Think of the gratitude of that glorious spirit 
mounting from the crucible of purgatory, shining and perfect, the debt which it owed to a just and infinitely loving Maker paid to the last farthing. How was it paid? By that plenary indulgence that you threw your whole soul into winning for it, by the unaccountable merits of that holy sacrifice offered to wash away the stains that yet marred the exquisite beauty of that spirit and made it yet unfit for heaven's perfection. Nay, perhaps by the little prayer of one or three hundred days indulgence that you only cost you one short sentence breathed to heaven from your heart's core, but which paid the balance of the debt, which otherwise must be told down by that soul in pain and anguish. Think of it speeding upward into the very bosom of God, perfect at last and worthy of him, perfect. And is not gratitude a rich, grand, rich attribute of perfection? Yes, and not one new glory is added, not one speechless joy won at last, but that soul will think of how a heart had pleaded bravely for it on the earth that looks so cold and dark beyond the brightness of heaven. Never can that heart, still bound to that cold earth, be tempted or sad or tried. Never can it cry to heaven for help without that glorious spirit casting itself before the throne of God, crying with all the gratitude of its heavenly perfection for the benefactor who paid the debt, which bounded in a fiery prison, far from God in heaven, paying back the loan a hundred and a thousandfold. High and favored in the court of the sovereign are those weary ones who called to us in the solemn stillness of the little graveyard in that bright summer sunset a little while ago. Sweet and strong amid the shining bands of the king's angelic minstrels is that wailing voice that rose above the sound of useless pomp in that gorgeous funeral that men call honorable. Unutterable the joy that bows down the soul, and unutterable the beauty that gladdens the eyes of those whose eager, half-impatient voices came to us through the church's twilight aisles, that night when we knelt in close converse with our sacramental Lord. Are we not well repaid that from those shining thrones, from that choir of heavenly minstrels, from those bending forms, a prayer is rising for us because our, we stole those five minutes from our pleasures, because we gave that little alms that we could only petty well spare. We could only pretty well spare because we hearkened and did breathe a prayer to Jesus in that quiet stillness of the church that evening, because we went that once or twice round the holy stations of the cross and offered it for them, because we paused that once or twice and breathed that little indulgence prayer, that De Profundis, with our whole hearts, and then went our way again. Are we not well repaid? Lastly, two brief stories from the lives of saints. The Venerable St. Paula of St. Teresa was a Dominican nun of the convent of St. Catherine in Naples. One day, being in prayer, she was transported in spirit to purgatory, where she saw a great number of souls plunged in flames. Close to them she saw our Divine Lord, attended by his angels, who pointed out, one after the other, several souls that he desired to take to heaven, whither they ascended in transports of delight. At this sight, the servant of God, addressing herself to her divine spouse, said to him, O my beloved Lord, 
Why this choice among such a vast multitude? I have released, he deigned to reply, those who during life perform great acts of charity and mercy and who have merited that I should fulfill my promise in their regard. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When one earnestly wishes to obtain a favor from God through the intervention of the Blessed Virgin or one of the saints, it is usual to say, if this favor be granted, I will make such and such an offering or give such an alms. Sorry, these words are from St. Don Bosco, this last part. He says, when one earnestly wishes to obtain a favor from God through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin or one of the saints, it is usual to say, if this favor be granted, I will make such and such an offering or give such an alms. Far preferable and more efficacious would it prove to give beforehand what we intend to offer in thanksgiving. For thus, by our confidence, we oblige, as it were, Almighty God, our Blessed Lady and the Saints, to listen favorably and to grant our petitions. We also fulfill the precept of Christ, Give, and it shall be given to you. Our Divine Lord does not say, Promise to give, and you shall receive, but give first, and then you shall receive. <laughs>